The hustle and bustle of the holiday season is here, and maybe you're feeling like your flock deserves a gift that keeps on giving. Honey and Rue may just be the answer. Honey and Rue is a monthly box put together by chicken keepers for chicken keepers and their flock. Each month, you'll receive products that may not be available at your local feed store to help build up your poultry first aid kit, try new treats and coop products to keep your flock healthy and happy. And there's always something fun for the chicken keeper, too. So go to hennyandrue.com and save 10% off your first box using code DRINKANDFARM. As a subscriber, you can also visit the honeyandrue.com shop to purchase select items and save 10% off everything. Henny and Rue, better chicken keeping delivered. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you got over there? I just opened a Shiner Cheer. Mmm. So festive. Yes, it is. I can officially open my Christmas beer and no longer feel guilty about it. (laughs) So what is the Shiner beer? I've seen a picture of it, but I don't know what it is exactly. What kind? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Does it tell me on the bottle? <laughs> <laughs> Did you fall into the trap of, ooh, this label looks festive? <laughs> well, so funnily enough, Shiner Cheer has been one of my go-to holiday beers for as long as I can remember drinking beer. And Shiner is actually a really popular brewery in texas so they brew a lot of beer they're a really big texas brewery uh and this is a bavarian style dark wheat is Mm. the style but i think it's got some sort of cherry or something in it let's see oh it's subtle peach and pecan flavors uh that are supposed to make your days merry and bright so there we go yeah it uses texas peaches and roasted pecans and there's multi flavors in it because it's a dark wheat uh it's a really fun holiday beer i feel like past years it's been a little more red than this year's is but it's still semi-red so it's a festive beer all around what'd you open over there so i have a black rocks brewery a honey lav which is an american wheat ale And Black Rocks Brewery is in Marquette, Michigan, so very fun. But it is an ale brewed with Michigan honey and lavender flowers, and it's actually, I was reading the back of the can before we started recording, it's a limited edition summer release, so they must have just had some straggling cans at my um, make-your-own-six-pack location that I go to. (laughs) That happens to me all the time. (laughs) But it's pretty delicious, and I figured to, you know, kind of cut myself off a little bit from the pumpkin fall beers for a hot minute and give my little palate a cleanse before I jump into the holiday beers, which I'm actually having a hard time finding. So I might have to get fancy with some holiday cocktails instead. We'll see. To be continued. Stay tuned. That sounds like a great idea, though. 
holiday cocktails. Yeah. I mean, all you really need during the holidays is some hot chocolate and Baileys or coffee and Baileys. And really, it's just simple and kind of helps spread out that holiday cheer evenly. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we've gained. And we share it with you, our audience of small and large-scale farmers, to help everyone feel like they're not so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those tangents and stick them up on the Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So go to patreon.com slash drink and farm. And if you're not a Patreon peep already, you can become one at just $2 a month. But we have different levels on there of fun. So go check it out and join if you haven't. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by Montana Coombs, which is at Thimbleworks. So cheers, Montana. Cheers. And she has a super cute little shop that she's got over at thimbleworks.co, and she gives listeners a discount using code Drink and Farm. So be sure and check that out. Yeah, that is perfect for the holiday season. I feel like I'm not completely sure by the time this drops if there'll be enough time to ship before the holiday, but actually funny story a couple years ago before we even had the podcast I actually asked for stuff from Christmas from Montana's shop before I knew it was Montana oh and I love that yeah and my brother bought me the chicken socks like the knee-high ones that are like the chicken legs that say something about like I'd rather be petting my chickens and drinking wine and then an egg apron that just said I just got laid on it um and i posted it on instagram and that's how we found each other because she's like thank you for posting and i was like you're welcome thank you for making cheeky chicken stuff that you know i didn't know i needed in my life so that's the story of how i learned about thimbleworks you're welcome I'm trying to remember how I learned about thimbleworks but i have a really cool like advent calendar thing that she makes out of jute twine little clothespins and bags and we put tea in them for every day of the advent and so we haven't drank day one yet today is technically december 2nd but after we're done recording the kids and i are going to do that at lunch and then we'll do tonight's because we went to winterfest last night so we missed a day but that's all right we'll catch up but so now i get to think about montana every time i drink tea during december (laughs) So I saw on Facebook, your husband also has his very own advent calendar of beers. Yes, he does. And it's super awesome. There's this local shop uh, in Van Wert. It's called Collins, I believe. And they make those. But I heard Aldi's made some this year as well. So if anyone can get a hold of one from an Aldi's, I heard a lot of the local Aldi's like sold out of them really fast. But Jared's parents order one for his dad every year. And this year they surprised him with one. And he was really excited because he really wanted one. Does that mean he's a big kid now? He is. He's a big kid. So he has his beer advent. The kids and I have the chocolate and the tea advent. We're just like adventing all over the place over here. <laughs> you truly are. Tis the season. <laughs> it tis. So we have a correction this week. Dun, dun, dun. 
And as soon as I heard myself say it, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I can't drink in math. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so last week we were talking turkey eggs and why we don't consume turkey eggs on a regular basis. And I said that turkey eggs were 16 times the cost of chicken eggs at $2 a dozen um, for the chicken eggs. But it's actually 18 times because it was 36 bucks for a dozen. And I don't know why I thought 16 times 2 was 32 or was 36, but it's not. It's 32. So... <laughs> There, I just confused the math again. You know, it's fine because technically you're drinking again. So it's okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Don't drink in math, people. Don't do it. And we have a bit of what I'm considering follow up. This might be like out of left field for some people. But we recently found out that the dates for Coop Camp 2020 have been announced. And Coop Camp 2020 will take place outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, in a small town called Danville, Indiana, June 5th through 7th. So that's a Friday evening through like Sunday afternoon-ish. And Bev and I are planning on being there. And it also looks like a few other people will be there from last year as well. Like Tina from Henny and Rue, hopefully Grubblies. I saw Jessica Jacobs from First Saturday Line post in the group that she's hoping she's going this year. Ooh. So some of our friends will be there and we always want to meet our listeners. So you have a lot of time to save your pennies. I told Bev that's what we need to do. We need to save our pennies because there'll be a hotel room block that you can take advantage of. And if you have to fly in or drive in, you can start looking at those um, those prices now um, because we want you to be there. It's a fun weekend. Uh, it's like a chicken people convention. You will feel right at home. We promise. We did last year. We sure did. And we're introverts. So yes. the fact that we were having a good time and <laughs> felt like we fit in, that says a lot about a convention. It does. <laughs> And if you want to hear about our adventures at Coop Camp last year, you can check out episode 66 titled, I'm Sad I Was Peeing When That Happened, and Minnesota 15, Drink in Coop Camp, um, if you want to learn more about uh, what to expect if you decide to go. Yeah, I'm so excited for this year. I already oh blocked God, it off on too. the calendar. <laughs> me too. I asked for the time off at work already. I blocked my calendar this morning. I'm like, let's do this. Awesome. <laughs> So I have just a little more follow-up. Uh, in last week's episode, we shouted out a farm podcast that we love, and I totally forgot to shout out A Farmish Kind of Life, and I felt Ugh. really silly afterwards because we've had her on the podcast, and I can't believe I missed her. So I wanted to apologize for that and mention her podcast here so that you can go check it out if you haven't heard it. Yes, and if we miss somebody else's, please know that it was not personal. We are human, and we forget. <laughs> that and we winged that little section. Oh yeah, we so did. we had like no notes. <laughs> we just like we were everything drinking off the top of our and heads. winging it, and you should not do that either. Right up there with math, right? <laughs> <laughs> and one more tiny bit of follow up. We received some anonymous feedback this week that some IG handles in the show notes are broken, and so I wanted to let you guys know that when we have a guest or we mention somebody on Instagram, if they change their Instagram handle. 
our link breaks and we don't know it and we don't have any way to forward that old link to their new Instagram handle. So if you find a specific link that's broken, please send us an email at drinkandfarm at gmail.com and we'll get it updated when we can because we want to fix those things. But since this is a two-woman show over here, we can't go through all of the old episode show notes and click on all the links all the time to make sure that they all still work. Because yeah. that's basically all we do anymore. We wouldn't create new episodes now because this is what, episode 89 plus a whole slew of minisodes? That's a lot to go through. <laughs> yeah, no. And I wouldn't torture somebody that we'd hire with that activity either. No, um, I wouldn't. That is not, you know, we take great pride in the funding we do receive from our sponsors and from our patrons. And I wouldn't feel responsible paying somebody to do that activity. But if you're listening and that sounds like something that would just tickle your pickle, um, (laughs) feel free to volunteer and we'll talk about making that work out. (laughs) But thank you for bringing that to our attention because it is important. And if you can be specific about what's broken, we can go back and fix that. Yes. And we absolutely will. Yes. (laughs) I said tickle your pickle and I've had like three sips of beer. So that's just how this is going to go today. I mean, I think that means it's going to be awesome. It's going to be good. (laughs) So now I guess we can jump right into the episode. And we have what I think is a pretty fun topic today to talk about. I'm excited to talk about this topic because this is something that my husband and I have actually discussed. So I told him we were talking about it today. And then he gave me that look like, why are you bringing up us doing something new again <laughs> and I'm like well but we've talked about doing this so I'm looking forward to learning more about it maybe it's easier than we think it is maybe it's harder than we think it is and it requires more planning and we're not cut out to do it yet I don't know so are you planning on having another child no absolutely okay. not because <laughs> that's what it started like sounding like to me and I was like Bev you know we're talking about Christmas tree farms today not yes. children yeah but I think if this is like the same line of thinking and planning, because basically these trees are your babies for quite some time. And I didn't understand fully um, what this entailed until we dove into this. And I think it's kind of deterred me personally from doing this anytime soon anyways. I'll tell you at the end of the episode if it's deterred me or not. Okay. I have to think about it just a little bit longer. But there's definitely more to it than meets the eye. Just like I think almost all farming activities have like from the outside you're like yeah just keep a coop of chickens and then you're like but wait chickens can get bumblefoot and they require the right feed and you know when they stop laying eggs like something might be wrong so it's you gotta scoop their shit exactly (laughs) (laughs) so the article we're gonna be referencing today is from northernwoodlands.org and it's written by patrick white Um, And he operates, along with his wife and his son, uh, Meadow Ridge Farm in Middlesex, Vermont. And he's working in the Christmas tree um, industry. And it gives him a chance to take a break from his real job as a writer-editor. And he enjoys it because he gets to go outside. So I think we all have that in common here. Most of us, we have a big kid job and we're doing this hobby farm thing. Some of you uh, do it full time. So... I thought this was a really neat perspective that we could share with you guys today. Yeah, because I think people that do what we do are always looking for new ideas and stuff that they could possibly do on their farms, you Mm -hmm. know, to maybe like dip their toes into the 
monetization of their farm, so to speak. And this is definitely an option. Yeah, but I'll admit, I definitely romanticize the idea of a Christmas tree farm because we used to like go to this cute little Christmas tree farm when I was growing up that had like a Santa Claus and you'd go and chop down a tree and then they put it through the machine and like shake it and all that fun stuff. And you come home and then boom, it's in your living room. So I had this really romantical idea in my head. But what you don't think about when you're thinking about starting one of these necessarily is that you're going to be working within the trees. And it's like the writer describes it as like trench warfare because it's a (laughs) battle between heat, frost, disease, insects, weeds, drought, wet soils, and occasionally ground hornets. Ooh, fun stuff. Yeah, and that's just the growing part. You're not talking about, like, the sales and marketing piece of having a Christmas tree farm as well. So if that doesn't scare you, we'll continue on. (laughs) Well, I was just going to tell you, almost all of the pine trees that are actually, like, physically in my yard, almost all of them died last year because of spider mites. Oh, no. It didn't occur to me to try to figure out, like, how to get rid of them. I thought that it was just, like, a natural cycle that the trees were going through and that they would take care of themselves. And it turns out uh, they do not against this particular Uh pest. So, yeah. So that probably doesn't bode well for my future (laughs) Christmas tree farm. (laughs) Well, at least you know ahead of time before you make a big investment, right? That's true. So part of the article covers um, some quotes from other Christmas tree farm people, um, like Nigel Manley, who's a manager of the Rock Estate in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. Um, And he has a Christmas tree farm of more than 45,000 trees in the field. And he said that a lot of people tend to think that you can just stick some trees in the ground and they'll miraculously pay for your property taxes. But it's really not that simple. (laughs) Not going to lie. I kind of thought that. (laughs) I mean, I did too. I really did too. Um, But it's not really there for a bit of a quick buck. Um, Many people are actually horrified to learn that you'll be planting trees in the cold in April. And then you're going to be sharing them in the heat of the summer. And then you're going to have to spray for those bugs and apply weed control. And that even if you start with a five-year-old seedling, it takes about an eight to 10 years to produce a Christmas tree. So that's 10 years of work before you get paid. Wow. Holy cow. I mean, I knew trees took a little while to grow. (laughs) But holy cow. Yeah. And the shearing and everything. So one of the things that I learned about Christmas trees while I was doing some little like ancillary research on this topic is that some of them don't naturally grow into that really perfect like cone shape that's what the shearing is all about (laughs) yeah no you you have to shape them to that you can't just like stick christmas trees in the ground and then expect to cut them in eight years or whatever it is and have them like perfect to go in people's living rooms like it's like any other landscaping you have to like train it to go the direction you want it to go and you have Mm -hmm. to evenly cut it and keep it looking all pretty because yeah no one's going to come to your christmas tree farm and chop down something that looks like charlie brown's christmas tree or like some sort of like rough monster that is just like sticking branches out all over the place right (laughs) right So if you're not scared shitless yet and you want to get started, here's some other things you need to think of. Um, So if you're thinking about 
purchasing land or using land that you already have, you want to make sure that the ground is not wet and doesn't hold water. Um, there are some species and varieties touted by nurseries to tolerate wetter conditions, but the reality is that every tree does best on well-drained soil. So if you have a lot of standing water, it's probably not going to go so well. And you want to also consider the soil pH. Um, that's another factor uh, that could either make or break your business. And as a general rule of thumb, balsam and Fraser fir do best in a pH range of 5.0 to 6.0. And if you've got a good site and are ready to take the plunge, the next hurdle is planning the layout of the field. So for better or for worse, this is what you're stuck with for like decades. So you want to keep into consideration how you're spacing out the trees. Um, and you don't necessarily want to do it in terms of how many trees can I cram in one space. You want to consider spacing the trees around five by five. And that'll allow for more than 1,700 trees per an acre. While six by six um, will allow for 12,000. So you want to keep in mind that in the hot summer when you're going to be in there doing all the shaping so you don't have the crazy looking trees, um, how much space you're giving yourself. And also, if you got equipment, making sure you have room to get through there without, you know, doing any damage to the trees. Holy cow, that's a lot of trees for an acre, but I am going to do a quick corrections corner really quick. It's 1,200 at 6 point six, or at 6 by 6, not 12,000. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Drinking and math. Drinking I mean, and math. <laughs> I just didn't want to have to correct that next week, so I thought I'd just correct it now. <laughs> I had all no good. idea you could pick, you could fit that many trees on an acre. Yeah, but it does indicate here that a 6 by 6 spacing is still pretty tight. Um, once they're fully grown. So you can always do a little more depending on what your goals are. Um, allowing some extra space may result in fewer trees to sell, but it'll be easier to do that work, easier to mow in between the rows, and, per and it also provides more air circulation, which can reduce disease pressure. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. It's just like in the garden when you do too much high intensity in one spot, mm. the pests can just take over because they have all of that tight space to go hide in. Yes, yes. Then after you do that, you get to pick what kind of trees you want. Yay. That's probably like the funnest part, right? Yeah. Sounds like it would be to me, too. Yeah. So there are like a butt ton that you can choose from. Um, but it is kind of funny because the trees that maybe you cut, help cut down when you were younger or that your parents are used to, they're mostly gone. So like the Scotch pine, white pine, and Douglas fir are commonly, were commonly planted varieties, but most of them are gone now um, and have been replaced by balsam and Fraser fir. And some farms are actually experimenting with exotics like Korean fir, Turkish fir, Myers spruce, and all like similar varietals of that. Um, there are some varieties that also are resistant to pests and diseases. Um, so you want to take that into account too. And one trait that many growers look for is late breaking buds. Any new growth that emerged from the bud can be quickly killed by a hard frost, stunting that year's growth. So when a crop takes 10 years to mature, lost growing seasons are hard to take. So 
in most years, trees such as Fraser and Cannon fir, which is a variety of balsam, will break bud after the danger of frost has passed. So that's why choosing the species of tree you're going to plant is uber important. Yes. Uber, uber. (laughs) And of course, some of these startup decisions and dilemmas can be bypassed by purchasing an existing Christmas tree farm. Ooh, smart. Right? (laughs) Because it's not uncommon to see established tree farms come up on the real estate market, and this may offer an easier route into the business than starting a farm from scratch. You won't have all those startup costs. You won't have to wait nearly as long to start harvesting your trees. And also, an existing business, you get to ask them for copies of their profit and loss statements and their balance sheets, and you can see how the business has actually done in that location before you make your decision. But of course, buying an existing business has its costs as well because if it's a really profitable company they're likely to charge more for it but it also mitigates some of the risk so Mm -hmm. I mean you get to decide how risk averse you are in farming just like you can when you purchase stocks on the stock market I guess yeah that makes sense yeah So now we have to consider maintenance, which we kind of talked about a little already with the sharing piece. So with maintenance, um, it's important to know, like we mentioned before, you can't just stick them in the ground and wait. Um, There's shearing that needs to be done. You also need to think about weed control and how you're going to um, combat things like bindweed, bedstraw, vetch, goldenrod. Um, And it's not a matter of aesthetics. It's for the health of the tree, um, depending on how much of a weed problem you have. And the species grown as Christmas trees generally don't regenerate naturally in open fields and are at a a disadvantage when it comes to competing with grass and weeds for sunlight, water, and nutrients. So it's essential to limit the competition, especially when the trees are small and young. And then also, as we mentioned previously, bugs can be a huge challenge as well in the maintenance area. So when you think about it, that totally makes sense that the that Christmas trees would not want to compete for nutrients. Because when you think about it, where trees naturally grow is the forest floor, which are like nutrient dense areas of ground because, you know, all of the stuff falling out of the trees and then composting on the ground and adding in, you know, like the right uh, bugs and organisms that help to keep that ground really, that's what I'm looking for, just like really fertile, I guess is the right Mm -hmm. word. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But when you're planting a Christmas tree farm, it's sort of like farm style in an open field. But we know that sun and wind And lots of rain all steal from the top layer of the soil. So it's really important to protect that so that your trees can get everything that they need. So now you have to consider the cost of running a tree farm. Um, And you want to be really liberal with your projections because money doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) What? (laughs) I won't take credit for that. That was a header in the article. (laughs) But you need to think of things like the amount of equipment you need to purchase. Um, It is a lot because you need things like an auger, a tractor, a bucket and a plow and a trailer. And you need to buy like a really nice chainsaw. And then you have to think of things like bone saws and netters. 
um, which nutters work by pulling trees through a cone-shaped funnel, temporarily flattening the branches against the trunk. That's the thing that makes it easier for the customer to transport. Um, And then you also have to think of supplies and planting stock. And you have to think through, like, spending tens of thousands of dollars to get ready to go if you don't buy an existing business. Um, And... It's kind of funny because the article also points out that um, one of the tree farmer's wives is convinced that the best investment that they make every year is the $90 they hand over to rent a porter potty during sales season (laughs) because it's fine to have hundreds of people at your house, but not in the house. Um, So you have to think long term, too. Like, it's not just the startup costs, but it's also the things like the property tax, the insurance, the cost of the land. Um, any employees you might hire to help you out, depending on how big of a project you're taking on, that stuff adds up really quick. Well, and something else that I don't see mentioned is like, if people are going to come to your farm and buy your Christmas trees, like you have to have parking for them and it has to be parking that their city cars aren't going to get stuck in. Cause you know, there's going to be people like showing up expecting to strap a Christmas tree to the top of, you know, a, a, front wheel drive, a Honda Civic, you know, or, you know, yeah. something that's really low to the ground. And I don't know what anybody else's farm looks like right now, but I currently have a mud farm. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, anything yeah. that would be flat and large enough for people to actually park their cars on isn't suitable for car parking at the current moment. <laughs> yeah. I think the place that we go, we used to go, like you just knew better, but unfortunately a lot of pe- people don't know better. So you do need to prepare for those situations where you might have to pull someone out if you don't have, like, a cement block for them to, like, park up on and figure it out. Um, Also, because you have people showing up to your property, you got to think about, like, liability insurance and things like that, too, especially if you're letting them cut down the tree themselves. Yeah, someone's definitely going to get a cut or, you know, stand on the wrong side of the tree while it's coming down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And maybe squash a child that's not theirs. Oh. Yeah. It, things could happen. So <laughs> you got to be mentally prepared for all of that. Yeah, I'm thinking back to the lot. We went um, to a Christmas tree farm last year to get our Christmas tree. And I was laughing. You know, we went, we had our muck boots and, you know, like our car hurts. And like we had like all of our own stuff to go and do mm-hmm. it and like gloves and everything. But there were people walking around in, like, expensive, like, thigh-high leather boots and, like, white track suits. (laughs) Which, why? Like, (laughs) what are you doing? It's not a fashion show. You're picking up a tree. But, you know, teach their own. Well, I just have to think that they're just not familiar with how dirty, like, an operating farm really is. Because until I did it, I didn't know either. So I'm not necessarily making fun of these people. But I'm just pointing out, like, you have to be prepared for all kinds that want to enjoy a fresh Christmas tree that you grew. Right. And sometimes there are some farms too that I've seen that have some pre-cut already. So you can just come in and like point and it's already cut. But there's timing you need to consider with that. Yeah. um, For the health of the tree. Uh, But if you have someone walking around in a white tracksuit, they might not want to walk like half a mile to find the perfect tree. They might just want to pick one that you already picked for them. So that's another business model you can consider too. I think there are like in bigger cities, like pop-up kind of shops that 
happen for people in bigger cities that don't want to travel out or can't but want a Christmas tree. So that might be a market to tap into as well. Oh, yeah. When I was in Phoenix, we had like Christmas tree lots that popped up in the middle of parking lots places. And they were from local farms around like the northern Arizona area. So, um, you know, people in the city and the suburbs wanted to still support a local farm, but didn't necessarily have the time or want to travel out of the city to go get it. Yeah, I was asking Jared why we didn't have one of those around here, but now I know why. <laughs> it just dawned on me. <laughs> so you're, what you're telling me is you didn't have a cactus in your house when you lived in Phoenix. You had an actual Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, no, we, yeah, we use actual Christmas trees. But So while we were in Phoenix, we actually had an artificial tree and we had the same okay. one for over 10 years and it finally like kicked the bucket before we moved. And so we got rid of that, did not move it across the country. And we've been going to Christmas tree farms and cutting down fresh Christmas trees ever since. But uh, today's December 2nd and we still don't have a Christmas tree. So I'm starting to get a little desperate and thinking of just like running down to Lowe's or something. <laughs> well, something that I did in some of my side research of this too, something I saw was that doing or cutting down actual Christmas trees from a Christmas tree farm um, is better for the environment Mm -hmm. because it decomposes, right? Or you can feed it to your goats or whatever, as long as it's not sprayed with weird chemicals. Um, Because if you just, you know, Bev's tree did her a great service for 10 years, but it's going to sit in you know, a dump for a very long time compared to a regular tree. So I thought that was interesting and it wasn't something I ever really thought about before because I've always had live trees until I met my husband. Now we have two fake ones in the house, but he, he was so close. He said this year to getting a real one. So maybe next year. Yeah. Have a real one. I mean, and the thing, there's nothing wrong with using artificial trees at all because they can, they can last for a really long time. And I've, I've read because I remember doing some research on this last year that if you're that you might be better off going with one that's not pre-lit because they don't break as easily. Yeah. And like, but you know, like when you're going for an artificial tree, you're usually going for ease. So pre-lit yes. is almost always what you're picking. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the way that it goes. But like with our tree, when the lights went out on it, we just strung lights on it for the last like three or four years. Right. And then finally when we moved, we're like, this thing has been broken for <laughs> as long as Aurora's been alive. Like it's time Aww. to retire it and we'll get a real tree next year. And that was how I came to the decision of getting a real tree rather than buying another artificial tree. But <laughs> there's an artificial tree at the store that uh, you can use your phone and it has like an app to change the light pattern on it. Mm-hmm. And Aurora has been like begging for once and she saw it (laughs) we're like no we're gonna go cut down a tree as a family or at least like go pick one out as a family we don't get to cut it down this year (laughs) well good news we have lights on our house that can be controlled by an app so you might just be able to find lights that you can do that with so maybe that's a good compromise next year next year it's only like three weeks away from christmas already (laughs) i know i'm dying shut the front door it's too close okay Moving on. (laughs) Yes. Sales strategies. Another thing you need to consider. Um, And this is something that you might not really think about when you're kind of romanticizing the idea of a Christmas tree farm. Um, But the author indicates that he's heard many stories of people getting started in the Christmas tree farming business by planting five to 6,000 trees their first year. 
uh, but not necessarily having a good sales strategy. Oh, yeah, this is a really good point. Where are you going to, who, where are the 6,000 families that are going to take those trees from? <laughs> right. And it's not a safe bet to like rely on, like, I have a bunch of Instagram followers. They'll come see me and I'll buy trees because what happens if Instagram goes away? Yeah. So you need to think bigger than like one like mode of, buying or excuse me one mode of like advertising for this and you need to be prepared so something to consider too when you're starting up is is there a christmas tree farm around me already and i know bev you said there's not so that might be a good indicator for you to start one up because you don't have any competition and with how long it takes to get started um you know they would be behind you anyways yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I also appreciated that the article indicated that uh, selling Christmas trees depends on repeat business. So it doesn't necessarily make sense to plant a ton of trees in one sitting. Like your first year, you might want to kind of space it out over the years. Like every year, do maybe like 100 or 500. Because if you give those white jock jogging suit wearing customers a really good friendly experience they're going to come back the next year and then it's going to continue to grow so that's something you want to think about too yeah it's like succession planning essentially so you know your first year plus something else to keep in mind too like your very first year that you start you don't necessarily want six thousand people showing up to your farm hell no like you're better (laughs) off starting with planning on like a hundred and then you know maybe doubling next year which is still you know like really (laughs) optimistic and yeah yeah, I mean but that's a good way to build a long lasting business that continues for generations because then you don't have like a literal shit show when you don't have enough porta potties you know because you didn't Mm -hmm. plan ahead enough for that many people because honestly you have no idea what it's like to have that many people on your farm until you've done it for sure right And the author also talks about driving around the northeast of the United States and seeing plenty of former Christmas tree farms that are now forests because they're like testaments to overplanting and poor sales planning or both. Um, You need to have a really good marketing and selling plan. Even from the start, even if you have 10 years out, you need an idea of what your plan's going to be. And you need to think about, and we've already talked about this a little bit, what is going to happen when people do to come to your farm because despite your best efforts to put up signs and cones people will drive where you don't want them to drive they're going to do things you never imagined they do and he gives an example of last year he had a fellow who insisted on tying his tree to the roof of his suv with the tip pointing forward mm. and having seen plenty of umbrellas turn inside out in the wind he politely suggested to the guy um, that given the directions the branches naturally grow, it might be better to flip it around. And the customer said, nope, it's more aerodynamic this way, and I've got <laughs> a long way to go. And all he could do was thank him for his business and walk away um, and wonder how many needles or branches would be left on the tree when he got home. Yeah, or if the tip was even there at all. Yeah, yeah. So you you gotta you gotta have patience for people, and this is like where Sam's like, all right, nope, because she doesn't have patience for that sort of thing. But I could definitely see Bev. I could see you 
doing well with this because you're really good with people and I am not as good with people. (laughs) Well, and I think this is where my husband's struggling with it too because he's like, well, we could start a Christmas tree farm, but I'd want to take them down and take them somewhere else, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. rather than having a bunch of people show up here. And I mean, like you've seen our driveway, like we're not set up to actually invite people in Mm -hmm. large quantities to our farm anyways. And I don't see any feasible way of changing that unless we like bought one of the farms that was next to us you know, right. and took over that space to like bring people to to drive up and like park and like hike up or whatever. But yeah, and that's that's totally an option. You know, like if they if you live in a small town, like for myself, there's this really cute mercantile down the street where I got like all my coffee and they have like cute little gifts and stuff. They also have a really large yard. So I could plant a hundred Christmas trees, cut all hundred of them down and have a pop up Christmas tree shop you know Mm -hmm. the weekend that our town does the Chris Crindle market would be the weekend to do it and people can come down and buy their trees and then they're all gone you know and then you're done so there's all sorts of creative ways to kind of go through it you can tell I've been thinking about this yeah (laughs) because I actually have a plan (laughs) you're working on that sales and marketing plan (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right I have 150 trees how do I get rid of 150 trees (laughs) Um, but it's just like any business you know you just start by writing stuff down on a piece of paper and then saying it out loud and see how it really feels you know like once you're done (laughs) and then you continue to to uh what's what I'm looking for like pare it down focus Mm -hmm. it the article closes out by saying that selling Christmas trees is almost always a feel-good experience and rewarding because nobody is unhappy when they come to get a Christmas tree So people are really excited. So that's always like part of the magical experience and probably what makes it worth it when you're like sweating your balls off in July, sharing a tree and fighting bugs. So now some of you might have some things to think about. So so what are you thinking, Bev? Based on your comments, I'm thinking you're like pro Christmas tree farm, but still thinking through potential strategy. Yeah, I think I am pro Christmas tree farm. And I think so we have almost 12 acres here. We're not using most of it. And in fact, we have like a giant pasture that's like not getting any use. The only thing is, because of where I live, we get a lot of rain and my soil is really wet. So Mm. it we may not live in a really great place for this. But I'm also up on a hill. So the water does drain. Yeah. So with the right planning and space to put them, maybe I would consider investing in like 100 and then seeing how it goes. And if it goes well, you know, plant another hundred and just kind of, you know, go like that. Because, you know, one of the things is, is you don't have to decide. Like once you get that bug that you want to farm something, even if you don't know what it is, you don't have to go like all in and quit your job and like never look back and only be a farmer. Like if you like what you do for your regular off farm job, you can continue to do that and pick side things for as long as you want until you find something that either sticks and lights a fire under you that's big enough that you want to leave that everyday, you know, thing that you went to college for or you've been training for or whatever. Or you can just continue to do it on the side. There's no shame in that. Right. Exactly. And then I think if I do ever do like my reindeer farm slash barn wedding venue off site, not on my house or at my house, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. This would be a really nice addition for like by the time that the reindeer farm happens, it'll be like, hey, Sam, you're going to be able to retire in like 10 to 20 years. 
Um, so then I could, you know, plant trees at that point and then that could just be part of the retirement plan. But I would have to hire people to like do all the actual work because when I'm like 65, 70, I'm not going to want to be sharing trees all the time. (sighs) So there's that. Yeah, that too. I mean, there's so much to look into when you start a business, (laughs) Yeah, especially a physical business. (laughs) I'm just tired thinking about it. So can we take a nap now? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's nap time. But actually, it's We Can't Even Corner time. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. And you're going to like mine. I want you to tell me yours because I have not. Oh, you know what? I did hear about this on the radio the other day, but I'm excited for you to say it out loud. Okay. So please do. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that wellness fanatics are butt-chugging sunlight in order to acquire energy. And I forgot to give a precursor to this. Uh, I just said butt jugging, but anyways, if kids are listening, (laughs) (laughs) you might want to stop them. (laughs) Yes, please do. And when you say butt chugging, it makes me think of like something way different than what it actually is. So whoever wrote this article, kudos to you on like a clickbait article title (laughs) well so when they said butt chugging I actually envisioned exactly what the picture that I saw was from the Instagram so basically (laughs) if you do yoga you're gonna know exactly what this is but so I think that she's in Joshua Tree National Park which is actually my hometown that's where I grew up I lived there for like 14 or 15 years She's lying on a rock on her back in happy baby pose, which is you're on your back, you lift your legs up and spread them as far apart as you can, and you grab your feet with your hands and hold them out like a baby. So you're basically spreading so that your butt can face the sun. (laughs) It is a very vulnerable position to be in, especially in the wild. I mean, especially in Joshua Tree National Park. Do you know how many things are trying to stab you out there? Everything. (laughs) Everything. Everything is trying to stab you. And the sun's also trying to give you skin cancer. So I don't know that exposing your butthole to sunlight is a good wellness strategy, but... (laughs) Yeah. So what... what like pseudoscience are they basing this on exactly (laughs) so it's something called perennium sunning and Mm -hmm. perennium is the scientific term for that space between your (laughs) butthole and (laughs) your private parts (laughs) so your taint it's taint sunning (laughs) basically exactly that (laughs) oh boy (sighs) So I want to read what the actual Instagrammer wrote in her post, though, because it's kind of hilarious. Please do. (laughs) She said, for the past few weeks, I've included sunning my bum and yoni. I guess that's... Yoni. 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 Is that that the technical term for your vagina? Her b-hole and her vagina. There we go. That's what we're going with. (laughs) (laughs) Into my daily rising routine. Many of you have been asking about the benefits of this practice. 30 seconds of sunlight on your butthole is the equivalent of a full day of sunlight with your clothes on. (laughs) I don't know where they got that science from. Mm. I cannot cite that. (laughs) No, she did not put that link in her bio. No, she did not. And she says this is an ancient Taoist practice that has been around for a while. Another technical term, a while. 
things I've noticed personally in my reality since I've implemented this is surges of energy almost immediately. Better sleep, better connection to my sexual energy and control of my life force. So much creativity flowing through my life. So I have a theory for why the surges of energy almost immediately. It's because your body is going into fight or flight because you're naked in the middle of the desert. (laughs) (laughs) And you're exposing the most vulnerable part of yourself to scorpions whatever happens upon you (laughs) bees ticks like what the heck lady (laughs) oh my gosh some of my favorites though are the tweets about it so this this one guy called stabbins mcgee (laughs) (laughs) No, said so the main benefit of sunlight on the butthole is an increase in confirmation bias (laughs) (laughs) and then another person said when you know all about the ancient taoist practices and the metaphysical alignment but still refer to it as your quote butthole And someone replied to that and said, it's the Hinduist terminology, yawny and butthole. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So I'm only going to read one more. So one lady says, me, maybe you feel good because you're stretching out your back and legs and are privileged enough to get fresh air first thing. You. No, it's definitely all the sun I put in my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Could you imagine if you were, like, hiking and you happened upon someone that was doing this? Like, what would you even do? I think I would just turn around and walk yeah. away. Yeah. What else can Ma'am. you do? Ma'am, are you okay? <laughs> it's like one of those life alert commercials. I'm falling and I can't get up. <laughs> or, like, your CPR and first aid training. Do you need help? Can I help you? <laughs> Uh, but I do see on here, if you want to follow this Instagrammer, her name is Metaphysical Megan, and that's M-E-A-G-A-N. So if you want to check out her post, because I've seen it before, it is very, um, I would say it's work safe, but it will make you feel better about your life, I think. <laughs> but no offense to anybody in our listenership that does this. If you do do it, um, no pun intended, (laughs) Um, and you feel bold enough to email us about the benefits and what your thoughts are, feel free to do so. And we can share it and we'll make you anonymous if you want. But I'm interested to know if anybody does this that listens to us. Yeah, I'm curious too. And when I came across it, so all of my laughter was not necessarily making fun of it. I think it's just shock. (laughs) That it's, I think it's a shock that it's a thing. But this is also the reason why I am always so skeptical of wellness advice. Because, (laughs) like, this is the place that a lot of it comes from. This is so (laughs) woo-woo. Like, this is next level woo-woo. Yeah. This is next level woo-woo. And, like, I'm doing a 30-day yoga challenge right now. And I'm not interested in sunning my perineum. So. (laughs) Bev, I would have to be really worried if you were interested in it. But I would not totally judge you, just maybe like mildly. Just mildly. I have heard that there's benefits to gardening naked. And if I didn't have kids and neighbors, I might consider it. (laughs) But I'm also very like, I don't know what the word is, like 
I don't I don't like I don't wear crop tops. I don't wear like short shorts. Like I dress mm-hmm. for comfort and utility utility yeah that's the word I was looking for comfort and utility so like I try not to wear things where like my boobs are spilling out the front of it you know because it's not very easy to bend over and do things when that's happening and nobody wants a goat biting their boob for crying out loud god no (laughs) could you imagine those teeth are sharp no Uh, so I think that's where my like shock from it comes from partially is just because like I'm a I I wear all the clothes all the time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, what's your can't even this week? I took up a lot of time on that. I hope that was wildly entertaining. <laughs> that was that was something. Um, and I don't know how to follow that. But my can't even this week is from a USA Today article, and the title of the article is "Alaska Man Attempted to Smuggle Four Hundred Thousand Dollars of Heroin and Meth Inside Ranson." rancid goat intestines i mean that's a way to follow that up (laughs) i mean it's my only it's the only thing that could follow it up um and the article says that an alaska man was arrested last week after allegedly smuggling drugs hidden inside spoiled goat intestines stored in his checked luggage Mm. So Sinan Placencia, 71, um, got stopped at the Ted Stevens Anchorage International Airport after finding the 400K of heroin and meth in the frozen meat. Placencia initially allowed authorities to search this 47-pound fish box. He had checked in his morning flight for Kodiak. Uh, Small pieces of meat with some animal skin were frozen together in a single mass, and they did not appear to be packed for human consumption. And as the meat thawed, investigators said it smelled rancid. So authorities were able to eventually pull out 10 balls of duct tape from one intestine and discovered plastic bags inside those, and they ended up seizing 740 grams of heroin and 389 grams of meth. Um, after they were able to get a search warrant. That's a lot of drugs. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't this first guy, the first time this guy has been accused of smuggling drugs and animal meat. Previously, he used a lamb carcass to transport drugs from Anchorage to Kodiak. Um, and then also they seized from his home back in March 247 grams of heroin, 13 grams of crystal meth, and $2,300 from suspected drug sales from his home in Kodiak. So they've been watching him for a while. Um, So now he's facing federal drug trafficking charges, and he was sent to Anchorage Jail. If he's convicted, he could be sentenced to a maximum of 40 years in prison. So I know exactly where this guy went wrong. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like he made some choices in his life early on that were not great for him. <laughs> so I've flown from Anchorage, Alaska to Phoenix with a fish box full of food. Yeah. <laughs> so I know exactly, like I'm picturing in my head exactly what this is. And because he froze everything together in one mass, when it went through the x-ray machine, they were like, what the hell is this? So he should have packaged it like 
individually mm. yeah like fish steaks or like uh like caribou steaks or whatever you know would be packaged as <laughs> that's where he went wrong so you're welcome future drug smugglers <laughs> i don't know no, if i should be giving you advice covered. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy oh but yeah so i was i just googled like goat news <laughs> And that came up, and I was like, perfect. <laughs> Goat news. Oh, I love it. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. And be careful sunning your beehole. The end. I mean, if you learned nothing else from this episode, I feel like those are good takeaways. <laughs> Sun your beehole on your newly planted Christmas tree farm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the pine's good for it, right? Yeah, piney fresh. There we go. <sighs> so we don't have a farm story this week, so we need you to send us your farm stories to drinkandfarm at gmail.com or over on Instagram or Facebook. If you would like to remain anonymous, that's fine. You can say so. But we want you to share your funny, your happy, your weird, your sad um, with us, and we will read them on an episode. And be sure and leave us a review because we're going to read one of them a week from Apple Podcasts. And if you don't have an Apple product, you can download iTunes to your laptop or your desktop computer and you can leave a review that way. So nobody is left out. Um, And at the end of the month, we take all the reviews we read for the month. We draw a name out of a hat and that person gets an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. And you want it. Trust me. And make sure that you leave (laughs) your Instagram handle in the review so we can find you. And November's winner is Dottie Z. Yay! Yay! And I'm pretty certain she's in our Facebook group, so Dottie will reach out to you for your address. Um, But we do have one that we need to read for today. Bev, would you like to read today's review? Sure. All right. So this review is titled, Doing Chores with Like-Minded Friends. Although the podcast drops on Friday, I always save it to savor while doing my weekend chores. It might sound crazy, but I feel like I'm weeding the garden, cleaning the coop, or hanging laundry with a couple of girlfriends while bantering about our farming lifestyle. Sam and Bev are always learning and sharing new things and do so with humor and grace. They also share the real and sometimes sad or gross side of farming too. In addition to this podcast, they also have a great Facebook group, which is the first place I turn to when I have questions or need support. Keep up the great work. And that's from Tina, a.k.a. Patina underscore on underscore the underscore homestead on the Instagram. So thanks, Tina. Yes. Such a nice review. Yes. So just some quick housekeeping and announcements. We already talked about Coop Camp. So mark your calendars for that. We'll keep giving you information as we hear it. Um, but make sure you hit that subscribe button for the Drink and Farm podcast and download the episode when you listen, because that helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on the Instagram in your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm, because we'll send you a promo code that's just good for that episode, and we'll give you a percentage off in our shop. And that includes our new holiday shop, which is only going to be around until December 15th-ish. I haven't settled on a date. I need to figure out what the actual like drop-dead date is for shipping in time for Christmas, because it mm. doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to get like holiday gear after the holiday has happened. 
So once I find a drop dead date, I'll mark that and let everybody know what that is. But I'm guessing it's going to be December 15th-ish. I was saying the 16th at first, but I think it's the 15th. It might even be the 13th. So my suggestion is if you want some holiday gear, just go get it. It's over at drinkandfarm.com slash wearables. And make sure you take a look at today's show notes to find links to the articles we discussed, a survey to tell us how we're doing, and all of our social media goodness and those merch shops. Oh, and we have an easy way to get to our show notes now. So the show notes for this episode is at drinkandfarm.com slash 89. Easy peasy. So thanks for listening, guys. We hope you are getting in the holiday spirit like we are. Yes, we appreciate you being with us every week. And we have a lot of fun doing this. We hope you have a lot of fun listening. And yeah, we'll get to talk to you again next week. So until next time, drink. Farm. And give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and